welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Mark Wick, the former head coach of Division Three St. Scholastica College, and now he travels the country giving talks about mental health and well-being, and this was an insightful, inspiring, uh, and really cool episode that we've done. Um, great job by Mark uh, to teach us a lot about mental health, how important it is, uh, but before we do get to Mark, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's shaking today? Not much, Broski. A beautiful day in St. Louis. Crushed three steaks this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I did not do that. Uh, Yeah, man. Season's in full effect now here in St. Louis. I'm loving coaching my team. Got a great group of boys and uh, just really fun, fun getting with the guys every day, getting back in the swing of hockey now. There is nothing like the months of September and October. They're literally my favorite months of the year because the hockey season is starting up. You know, like the baseball playoffs are happening. NFL football just started. The NHL season starting. Like it's there's nothing better. It's unreal. Oh, I could literally care less about anything else you just said, but I'm pretty excited <laughs> about uh, coaching a new team and, and you know, seeing the, the guys like begin to form their bonds with each other and see the leaders that are stepping up. And, you know, it's just a cool time. And I, I love, love, love teaching guys that are like 15, 16, 17, 18 and above, like new skills that they've never tried before. They've never learned before things where it's like, you know, they just they've never done like these little details before and you teach it to them. And then all of a sudden they're getting better at, at whatever they're doing. And it's, it's really exciting to teach somebody something new and then see them be good at it. That's really cool for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what coaching's all about, right? Like, and it's really yeah. cool to see uh, the beginning product. And then in March, April, when you see the, the, the finished product, even though it's not finished, but you, know, you see the work that's been put in and especially at the age group that you're, um, you know, you're coaching. I mean, you see so much growth, you see so much maturity physically and mentally, emotionally and stuff like that. Like it's uh it's a neat age for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I personally don't enjoy as much coaching anybody like below 15 um, only because maybe 14, I guess only because like the things that I want to teach them are like a little bit higher level. Like you've got to, you got to be a little older. You got to have developed some, some hockey thinking, um, and really want to apply these little things. And even at that age, um, so I'm coaching you 16, even at that age, like I got to tell them repeatedly, Hey, like focus on this, focus on this, focus on this. But then with the, the first time you see it click and they're like, Oh, now I know why you're telling me to do that. And then they do it over and over. You see them start to have success with it. That is so cool for me. Like I love seeing that happen. And then, you know, whatever, you know, whatever type of player there, they get more more points, they get more block shots, they get more this, they get more that. Whatever skill it is that we're trying to teach them, it's really cool to see somebody understand it and then apply it day after day after day. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that's really cool, I mean, you, you talk about from the hockey side there, but I always love seeing what a kid was like in terms of maybe their outgoingness or their confidence in themselves. 
um, just as a person, you know, like at the beginning of the year and then you go towards the end of the year and you see how much they've matured. Um, I, I think that that's, uh, and you feeling like you have a little bit of a part in that because you're holding them accountable throughout the year and you're communicating with them. And, and it's, uh, I think that's a big piece of it too. A hundred percent. I 100% totally agree. And, and for me, <clears throat> my, my favorite way to help build that is obviously the gym. Actually, somebody, uh, somebody listens to podcast, um, emailed me or, or Instagram messaged me. I can't remember which one it was showing me their kids doing some workouts. And I think they're like eight or nine and they're telling me what they're doing. And I was like, man, that's so exciting because for me, I've never seen anything in hockey and sports in life, build more confidence faster than the gym. You know, I, I, I it's very tangible. You know, today I lifted 10 pounds next week. I lifted 20. Oh my God. That's so easy to see your progress. And it's really exciting. And immediately that builds an immediate confidence. I put in the work to go from 10 to 20, you know, and then every week you build on that. And it's like you said, like, I love seeing kids build that confidence. And even my pros, you know, I had one pro this year. He could barely do 20 pushups when he started with me. It was insane. And by the end of the summer, the things he was able to do, the confidence that he had, like going out of the ice from building, you know, putting in the work and, 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 you know, training his mind, training his body. You just can't do anything, anything like that. And it's really cool to see people build that, that confidence. Yeah, totally. And it's funny that you mentioned like the people reaching back out to you because I love it when people listen to a podcast and then reach out to us over social media with like, like you said, videos or questions or comments, you know, we do this to make an impact. You know, we do this so people can have tangible things that they can do, whether you're a parent, um, talking about things with your kid, whether you're a coach that wants to teach something on the ice, whether you're a kid that gets inspired by one of the guests, their stories and what they talk about and things like that. So, um, for Jeff and I, like if you're listening to this podcast and you like, you know, some of the things that some of our guests says, or you take something out of it, seriously, feel free to, to reach out to us on social media. We absolutely, Absolutely love that. It fuels us. You talk about confidence. Like it kind of gives me confidence when people reach out and say, you know, positive things and things like that too. Um, but even if you have questions or you want us to elaborate on something, um, we love the interaction with people. You know, we got thousands of people that listen to this podcast now and it's really, really cool. It's really kind of taken storm, um, not only at the youth levels, but, uh, you know, some higher level coaches too. A lot of the guys in, in college are on the road right now and we're keeping them company as they're kind of traveling through Alberta and BC and, uh, you know, the Midwest and Ontario and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, reach out to us and, uh, we want to be of service to, to the hockey community. That's why we're doing this. And, uh, you know, when you shoot us videos and you shoot us comments and stuff like that, like it, uh, it, it helps us to, to do our job as podcasters and, and we really enjoy the interactions with you guys. Yeah. And one of the coolest things for me is when I go on Twitter and I see somebody listens to the podcast, shared an episode. I mean, that's positive reinforcement for us showing that, you know, Hey, like I thought this episode was valuable and I want to share it with other people because I think, you know, these guys are providing value. That's really cool for us. I absolutely love that. Also helps us have a wider reach and then more people hear it and they're like, Hey, you know, you should get this guy in the podcast. I love when people send us a suggestion. Hey, this guy's done this. Like I think he'd be great on the podcast and whether we, we can get that person or not, or, or that person, you know, we want them on or they want to come on. It's still really cool that, that people are trying to help other people get better through this podcast. So keep sharing it. I I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the message that we have from uh, our guest here today with Mark Wick, uh, I mean, this is really important. 
important to talk about. It's a, it's definitely a deeper, heavier episode um, than you know we're kind of accustomed to. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about mental health, and I think all three of us are kind of open and, and vulnerable about some of the struggles that we've had in, uh, you know, in our careers and, and in our personal lives. And um, we talk about a lot of stuff that gets kind of really deep into the human psyche and really deep into just kind of what makes us happy, what doesn't make us happy, and things like that. And uh, Mark's an unbelievable speaker. I mean, you'll you'll hear it on the podcast and the fact that he's dedicating uh, a huge portion of his life now to, to kind of travel around and tell his story, uh, which has a lot of ups and a lot of downs, um, to, uh, he mentioned, he spoke with, you know, St. Cloud and Minnesota state Mankato and, um, some of these other big time schools like Minnesota Duluth who won the national championship last year. Um, his message is unreal. His delivery is unreal. I heard him speak, uh, down at the coaches conference, coaches conference down in Florida this spring. And, uh, I think his message on this episode, um, is, is incredible for, for everybody to hear. Yeah. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. He's very passionate. He's like you said, he's a great speaker. Um, you know, I learned a lot about not coping mechanisms, but kind of ways to, to battle. Um, you know, if you have something negative going on or you have a little bit of anxiety, like you can do a couple of these, you know, certain things that he talks about on the podcast, which are just like, it's so simple, but until you learn them, you know, like maybe you're struggling a little more than you need to. So he definitely gave a lot of good information of things that I'm definitely going to use moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, a lot of the things that he talks about, I think is going to resonate that I guarantee there are going to be people that are listening to this episode that take something from this in their own personal lives and in some way can help them. Um, with some kind of mental health struggle because we, we all have them. I mean, to sit here and say that none of us struggle with things mental health wise, I think, you know, we all do. And, uh, it's a part of the process of growing and and becoming a better person. And, you know, we talk about adversity and resiliency all the time on this podcast. Like if you have a dream and you have places that you want to go, it doesn't come without the struggle. Um, and the struggle is what makes it great. And if we can frame our mind to kind of, um, make it think that way, um, it certainly helps. And, and Mark gives strategies. Um, he talks about his own personal experiences of things that he's done and, uh, just an unbelievable episode that I think is going to help people, um, along the way. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it's, it's obviously not like an episode geared completely towards hockey. It's, it's a mental health episode more of, and I mean, everyone, needs to be mentally healthy. So uh, it's important for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And and certainly this is a great time for this podcast because September is, um, you know, suicide prevention month and suicide is a, an epidemic in, in the United States. And uh, it's getting worse and worse every year with um, the amount of pressure that, uh, that people feel like they're under, specifically at the younger ages too, um, you know, for teenagers and for, for young adults, um, but even for older people too. I mean, it's, it's something that has, you know, kind of, it's, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And uh, we talk about it on the podcast and get into it. Um, so I think this is the perfect time to, to kind of release this one with Mark. And uh, he again, I, I can't say this enough. He was awesome. And what he's doing with his life right now and the reach that he has and the impact that he's having on on our youth, I think, is is incredible. So really, really looking forward for, um, for you guys to listen to this one. And uh, we thank Mark for coming on and speaking his truth and his story. So um, with that, without further ado, Let's take it over to our conversation with Mark Wick. 
We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from the great state of Minnesota, Mark Wick. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, before we uh, press record here, I got the chance to hear you speak down in Florida at the College Coaches Convention. And uh, I actually had to go right after you. So uh, pretty big shoes to fill. Thanks a lot for that. But <laughs> um, you, know, you have such a great story and uh, such a great message. And, uh, you know, for you just being so open and vulnerable about the things that you went through, I think is, uh, is incredible. But before we get into that stuff, I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey journey and, and kind of how you got to where you are today. So you grew up in Hermantown, Minnesota, pretty much a hockey hotbed out there right outside of Duluth. And uh, just wanted to ask you how you got involved with the game and, and uh, kind of how you fell in love with it up there. Well, it, it, it is a hockey hotbed. I don't know if I'd go that far because um, I'm quite a bit older. When I was there, it wasn't that way. But, uh, you know, I grew up right across the uh, right across the street from the high school, right across the street from the rink. And um, back then, you know, we just had outdoor rinks. So I would every day after school or on the weekends, I'd just walk across the street, be at the rink. And, you know, I didn't start, you know, early, I would say, um, compared to some, you know, I was probably seven years old. But, you know, it was just what I really loved. And, you know, so I would spend all winter there. And it was obviously a lot different back then. We were sport, um, multiple sport athletes. So we didn't have the indoor ice. So I'd play hockey in the winter, um, you know, and other, other sports in the other seasons. But thankfully, the winters up in northern Minnesota are kind of long, too. So you, <laughs> you get your chance to play hockey up there, too. So, um, you know, now they've just got an excellent program and, you know, they've got the arena and all that type of stuff. But it was just a sport that I really fell in love with and, you know, was fortunate enough to play it through college. And I, I actually graduated from college and my kids give me a bad time along with everybody else with a computer science degree. Wow. And Man ahead of your time. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think exactly. It worked out well for me. I think my wife thought she was getting Bill Gates and then I pulled the old uh, bait and switch and <laughs> just realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, sit in a cubicle and write programs. And I went back to school, got my master's degree out of Bowling Green and because, you know, I wanted to be in that. I'd done some coaching when I left and was, you know, working. I helped out at my alma mater there at St. Scholastica as an assistant, but decided, you know, I want to be involved with young people and in athletics and stuff like that. So I got my uh, master's degree, graduated in 89 with that, and then got coaching right away. You know, I was at Augsburg from 89 to 95, then, you know, for family reasons, our youngest one, our oldest one was going to start uh, school, so we decided to move back to Duluth, where there was family, and helped out at UWS for a while. Good friend of mine, Steve Nelson, um, did some personal training. I opened up a gym, you know, while I was still coaching. Then in '04, oh. uh, I had the opportunity to go back to Saint Scholastic as the head coach, and was there from '04 um, to '18. So, um, so hockey's been very good to me, and it's very special to me in, in the hockey community. I think is a is a very special community also. Yeah, absolutely. And what was it about coaching that kind of drew you to it? Because coming out with a computer science degree, probably at the time that you came out too, there were probably a lot of lucrative options for you, but you decided to follow your passion. So kind of what was it about the, the coaching aspect that really drew you to it? You know, it, it was just being around young people, you know, and, and I've always coached. Even in high school, I would coach little league baseball. Cause I played baseball. So in the summer times I'd coach youth baseball, 
um, in, in college, before I'd leave for college, I would help out coaching football with the high school football team. And um, I had such great mentors there. The, the people that I played for, my coaches, um, you know, they were special people to me. They had an impact on me. And it was a situation where, you know, I, I realized that, you know, coaching can have an impact on people. Now, when you're in college, sometimes when you're in school, you also realize that the computer industry, you know, probably could make a little bit of money in that also. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the big thing is, and, you know, and, and um, for me, it's always been you got to do what you love. And uh, like I said, I'm married. My wife was always very supportive and I was able to do that. And, um, you know, one of the probably the best things I've taught my kids is to do what you love. And, and my, my kids have followed in that route too. And, you know, they said, Hey, that's one thing we've learned is you got to do what you love. And for me being around, there's nothing better than being around college age kids. And that's where my experience has been college. I haven't coached high school. I've coached some youth hockey. I love that too. But, you know, 27 years I've been on college campuses and that's a pretty neat age. And you have those people for four years so you can see changes in them and you hope that you have an impact on their lives. That's really cool. And I, I love that you said like how much you enjoyed coaching and how it's a passion of yours. When I was come, like when I left St. Louis at, at 16, I moved to Chicago and, and the year after I started playing juniors and right when I started coming back from juniors home every summer, I would skate with the younger guys, the, you know, U 15, U 16, U 18, the big, Hey, like, why don't you try this? I just learned this this year. And why don't we try shooting in stride? And, and then every year I would just come back and do that. And like, for me, there's nothing cooler than showing, you know, a young kid or whoever something new and then see them pick that skill up and implement it into their game. And all of a sudden, like you help that person get better. Like, I know that maybe that's like a selfish feeling, but like, I just feel so good when I can teach someone something they didn't know. And then it makes them better. It's, I, I just love it. And I, I wish more guys would give, give back and get into coaching. And, and that's exactly what it is. And what I was going to say that that's not selfish at all. I think that's giving back and that's kind of the responsibility that, you know, for us, you know, I always felt for me to be able to play this game, I was very lucky, you know, and I was blessed because my parents ran me around and, you know, had to buy equipment and that type of stuff. And, and it's good for us to give back. So, um, yes, it's great to get those rewards out of it, feeling good and stuff also. But, you know, there are some people that that's not their passion. They're not as good at that. So, yes, they go do something else. But, you know, if you have the love for that and the ability to it, I think it's, you know, it's very important to give back. You know, I, I worked... Three years out of high, uh, three years out of college as a computer programmer, um, and I don't think I was that good. But I say since then, since 1988, I haven't I haven't worked a day in my life. You know, because I, 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 you know, I go sit at a hockey arena scouting, watching kids play, and everybody else is buying a ticket and paying to get in. And I get my ticket paid for, and I I get paid to watch a game. That's a pretty good gig. You know, um, I, I was blessed to be able to do that. Like people were paying me to go on the ice with kids, to, to practice, to watch games, to go to games, to, to recruit. So, um, you know, I, I've been very blessed and, and fortunate to, to be able to be involved in it for 27 years. Yeah. And the other thing that you said too, that's really cool. You know, you know kind of sharing an experience with you is just, uh, as, as a college coach, 
watching a kid come in as a freshman and seeing them leave as a senior and how much different they are. I mean, that's a tangible thing that you see that, uh, that's incredible. They kind of come to you as, you know, some of them, it's the first time away from home, not so much anymore because the junior hockey is so prevalent, but, um, you know, the, the confidence that they build turning into a young man and, and just, uh, the maturity, it's, it's really cool when, when they come in kind of wide eyed trying to figure it out. And then, the, you know, you got to kind of kick them out because they had such a good time wow. and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's such yeah. different and better people. There's, I don't think there's anything better than that from coaching at the college level, like you said. And, and again, and that's where I've said, you know, never say never, but I haven't really been that enamored with the junior game as far as being a coach, because it, it is more of a business and you have more, you know, kids moving up and down, you know, making trades and all that type of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I always said was, you know, you come in as a freshman, you know, I'm probably not going to be the best coach for you because I'm not going to know who you are or what you do. And you're not going to know what I expect and all that. But, you know, you get into college, you get to build a four year year relationship, you know, and it can be pretty special. And, and even though most of our kids, all of our kids are 21 now, it seems like coming into college, they're still, you know, they're still kids, you know, and, and, and they've still got a lot to learn because you go in there in juniors, you know, there's a good chance somebody was doing their laundry for them or cooking their meals and telling them when to go to bed and those things. And now they have, you know, that freedom. And um, it, it is fun to watch some of those kids come in that, that people aren't sure they're going to make it and, and, and see them graduate, go on to be very successful. And, um, you know, I'm very blessed to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and we've talked a lot about the positives of college coaching, but what like what do you think is some of the toughest parts of coaching in college, specifically maybe even at the division 3 level because, you know, it's it's a job that's not easy. It's it's great to make an impact and and we all enjoy it and we love it, but it's certainly a roller coaster at times. Um so what what do you think are some of the challenges because we do have a lot of college guys and specifically at this time of the year they're all on the road right now recruiting listening to this podcast hopefully. Um but uh, you know, what are some of the challenges you think that go along with, uh, with coaching at this level? Well, I, I think that's a big thing is just the time commitment. You know, I yeah. always laugh, you know, when somebody tells me that, um, I'm a part-time coach, I don't, there's no such thing as a part-time coach <laughs> because we do it all the time. You know, we're spending our time at home. We're spending our time on the weekends. You know, all of our time is invested into that. And then when you throw a family in there and stuff, it's easy to get caught up into that type of stuff. And again, you know, I, I'm not a work-life balance guy, like only eight hours a day, you know, but you have to have those times off because right now guys are on the road and that's great. Summertime, it's more laid back and, and that's good, you know, so um, you need those times, but even during the years, and, and I was just talking to, uh, um, you know, coach, I, I went up and talked to UMD and I was talking to Adam Krause and, um, after I talked to their players and hey, as coaches, you know, some of the stuff I talk about, you know, you have to carve time out for yourself too, because we can really get wrapped up in this. And, um, and even at the division three level, you know, there's, there's pressure and there's stress, but I think that's because of who we are, because there's not too many coaches that are out there that aren't motivated, that don't want to win. And they put that on themselves, maybe more so than the institution does, but we all put it on ourselves and, and we all want to win and be successful. And, and people, you know, our, our stuff is very cut and dry. It's, it's out there. You know, I can see, 
You know, I can't see how many tax returns Joe Johnson did during the season, but I can go on there, you know, starting a month from now and see how BU did or um, Fredonia or anybody else, you know, and it's a year, you win or you lose. Sometimes you tie, but now we're getting rid of a lot of those. So it's a very black and white, you know, you win or you lose. And we can take that very personally as coaches. And, and then that can put thoughts in our minds or our confidence levels and, and those types of things. So there's a lot of stresses that come with it. And then as the season goes on, um, you know, uh, things build up, you know, are we going to make the playoffs? Where are we going to be at? Or if we're ranked high, you know, pressure to stay there. Um, we're, and, and yet we're dealing with 22 year old kids and sometimes they don't make the best decisions. And sometimes we have to make decisions that they don't understand, you know, and it's best for the team, but it's maybe not best for them. And, and you deal with these personalities, you know, and those types of things. And they don't always get it, you know, and and then you carry that burden with you. You know, we want all of our players to like us, to do well. But, you know, sometimes it comes with that tough love. It's, you know, kind of like parenting, you know. Um, I always told my kids, you know, hey, I love you. I don't always like you. But I love it. You know? and, <laughs> oh, um, I heard that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, so again, it's not, you know, it's a, don't get me wrong, it's a great profession, but there's a lot of things there that if we don't keep them in balance, um, it, it can, um, you know, it, it can make for some ugly situations. Yeah, and, I, and I've known those, and I've seen those. <laughs> yeah, and and I want to get into that a little bit, but I just want to kind of echo some of the stuff you're saying because you know I often think about being outside of the game now. Um, you know, kind of what I would do differently uh, had I, you know, if I do go back into coaching and just kind of reflecting upon the job that I thought I did while I was there. And one of the things that was really really hard for me, and I know it's hard for a lot of other coaches, is that balance uh, because you, you mm-hmm. feel like you can always be doing something. And, and for us, like I, I always say, like we're really, really good as college coaches at working hard. That's kind of one of our greatest strengths. But one of our greatest weaknesses yep. is perspective and taking a step back and putting it all in, in a bigger picture um, because we can grind. Like we can grind with the best and we're on the road 200 days a year. Yeah, your phone is accessible at all times so you can be texting with kids or coaches or parents or whatever it may be. And um, that can be a daunting, daunting task. And if you don't take time to take care of yourself, um, you you know, yeah. not only are you putting your own mental health at risk, but also you're probably not doing a very good job either <laughs> at your job. Well, so it's interesting. Absolutely. Because what are, what are our jobs, you know, made up of, whether it's recruiting, whether it's coaching, it's about relationships, you know, and, and, and when we have families and if we're spending so much time on the road or on the phone all night and, and we're neglecting some of these other things, we're neglecting taking care of ourselves, you know, with sleep and those types of things, well, then it has an effect and an impact on our relationships. And then we don't treat people maybe like we want to because, you know, we're so exhausted or stressed out or, or those types of things. And um, it, it's very easy to, um, to get out of that perspective. Um, but, you know, it's something that I think, you know, we talk, the more we talk about it, the more we realize that, Hey, it's okay. That things are still going to get done. If I don't see, you know, uh, if I'm not on the road for 48 days in a row, we can still have a good recruiting class. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, kind of some of the things that you're talking about right now, you're, you're touring around the, the country and talking to kids and talking to teams. And uh, I know you've spoken with a bunch of high profile college teams and, and your, your story and, uh, um, just your message of what you're trying to convey right now is, is incredible. And so I wanted to ask you, um, you know, just to, to kind of share a little bit about your story because you had some ups and you had some downs throughout your college coaching career, um, probably higher and lower than, than a lot of other people. So if you can just, um, kind of share a little bit about, uh, where you're at right now and what you're doing, but, but also just kind of how you got to that point and, and, uh, share a little bit of your story. Well, thank you. So this last year, um, like I said, I, I was at St. Scholastica from 04 to 18 as the head coach there. Got let go in March of 2018. Uh, moved to the Twin Cities here because my wife was down here working. Yep. Um, looked for some college jobs, not much here. Actually went to the NHL draft, talked to some NHL teams about scouting positions and looked at that. Um, you know, through the end of the fall, you know, I talked to some teams pretty seriously. I thought I might have a shot. They wanted people with experience, which they get. Um, and I got nothing. Okay. So then I, I was at the North American showcase, ran into Chris Brown at Augsburg. Um, he said, Hey, if you want to stop by, you know, and go on the ice once in a while, it would be great. So, um, you know, the old watch what you wish for. Um, I did. I was on the ice every day, um, <laughs> uh, but it, it was great for me. You know, I was an assistant coach and, you know, and I really did have a great year because I said, you know what? Um, I made a lot of suggestions, but no decisions, you know, and, and I could go home and not worry about it. And I could sleep at night and all that. Um, I, I got a call from Arizona about doing some video scouting for him. So I was able to do that, watch some guys do reports, kind of get a little bit of experience, um, and, and then with my story of what I went through in the 14, 15 season, um, I started to share it with people and, and just the impact from the kids afterwards, or, you know, stories that I heard of what people had been, um, living with, not necessarily dealing with, cause they didn't deal with a, a lot of them. And that what was what caused a lot of problems. Um, I, I just decided this last year, some hockey jobs came open. I, I didn't go after them, whether I would have got them or not, who knows? I didn't go to the draft. Um, because I just want to spend at least the next year, hopefully more, we'll, we'll see what the reception is. It's been good, but just spreading the word about mental health and trying to get rid of the stigma of, of getting help and, you know, people suffering, you know, in silence. And we've seen the effects of those, you know, from a few years ago at UMD with Andrew Carroll, you know, who took his life to this last summer with Greg Johnson, the former North Dakota Nashville predator, um, you know, who died by suicide this summer. So just to spread the word that, you know what, you can get help out there. So, um, so that, that's what I'm doing now. And, and that, uh, kind of came about. So I started in 04 at Scholastic. was super excited to get back. Um, the 05, 06, we had a winning record, which was the first time in 25 years. Um, 09 season, we were in the, um, quarterfinals of the national tournament. You know, we were ranked, you know, second in the country for a large portion of the year. You know, we've continued, we continue to be a good program, but, um, you know, as time went on and as I look back every year, you know, things got a little more intense. My behaviors got a little more stay out of hand and, um, the 14, 15 season, 
you know, I had a couple of really tough times. I, um, you know, I had a big blow up with the team. And again, when I blew up with the team, it was never anything personal. Like, you know, you're a bad player. You lost the game for us, but Hey, you're not doing what you were told. You know, you have to respect the program and, and everything became personal. And January 2nd, we were playing in a tournament in Oswego. Eddie Gosick a good friend of mine. And, you know, the plan was to go out there Friday night, play, play them Saturday night in packed house, beautiful arena. Sunday, go to New York City. It was going to be a great trip. And we lost Friday night. Um, and I sent the team out for the meal and told them I'd walk back to the hotel, you know, um, Upstate New York in January isn't always the nicest. Yeah, I'm about an hour from um, Oswego. I, walked... I get it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and, and I walked back to the hotel that night and I stood on the bridge on the Oswego River and, um, you know, really felt what was best for my team, my wife, my kids, you know, everybody was that if I just jumped. Um, obviously, I didn't take that action, not because I thought it was a bad idea, um, just because that would have caused more problems, you know, get my body back to Minnesota, all that. I tell people, had we been close to Duluth that night, I don't know what would have happened. Um, so not that it was a bad idea. It was just, wasn't the right time. And when we got back, um, I, um, went through the month of January and the last weekend in January I had an altercation at our last home game on the ice, uh, with um, the other coach, um, of something that I thought he shouldn't have done, you know, disrespectful. And I went after him and, um, that night I sat in our locker room in our coach's office with uh, my assistant coaches, our radio guys, um, and our women's hockey coach. And Jackie left that night. Um, and I sat there, you know, frozen, like paralyzed. My, my head was in my hands. I couldn't move. I heard talk going on, but I wasn't engaged. Jackie said she was leaving. Um, she went outside, but she, but she didn't leave. She called my wife, told my wife who had gone out for dinner after the game with my son and some friends said, you got to get over here. I don't know what's wrong with Mark. And she waited till everybody left and all the players, all the coaches. And then she came back in and said, what is going on? And I started crying. And before I could say anything, my wife walked in and said, that's it. You know, we're going to take care of this depression. And, um, and I couldn't argue at that point. See, my wife had tried to tell me for years that I had depression, but you know, what is depression? You know, to me, it's crying, loneliness, withdrawal, you know, lack of sleep. Well, guess what? You know, if you just see my power play, you went to sleep either. You know, so it was a depression, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I hollered at refs, but guess what? They deserved it. Right. You know, um, you know, so I could justify everything, you know, yeah, I don't want to go with you and your friends tonight after work. Cause I spend all day with people, you know, not, not that I, you know, not that I'm depressed. It's just that that's what I do. So I could always justify it. And, you know, my wife just didn't get it. I thought, you know, um, but at that night, I, I couldn't help but get help because I couldn't do anything. And she got me in and saw a doctor, got meds taken care of. The next week, I saw a therapist. I, I said I'd see this person until I can find somebody that I can trust and be open with. And he was actually the only guy I saw till July 2nd when I left last year. Um, and he was great for me. And, you know, so I, I went through that whole thing and, um, you know, people had told me a week after our volleyball coach called it. Um, first phone call I took after I had taken my leave because I left the team then that weekend and just took a leave. And um, the volleyball coach called and, and I remember she said, 
you know, Mark, I've known you for 20 years. I would have never guessed you had depression. And I said, I know, because that's what we do. We hide it. You know, how many times have you heard of somebody who's died by suicide? People say, I would have never guessed that person. Yeah. Because we don't want them to know. So even though we look happy-go-lucky, people on campus love me across campus. All the athletes love me. But the people that were closest to me, my team, my wife, my kids, I took it out on them. You know, I wasn't a good coach because I couldn't control my emotions. You know, it got to the point where I couldn't control it. And um, I would fly off the handle and I would holler at my kids. My wife knew that, you know, my kids knew dad lost, stay away, you know, and had Jackie not called that night, my wife, I don't know what would have happened. Cause I would have sat in the office till three, four in the morning, gone home, not different than what happened other nights. And then we were on the road the rest of the year. And then the next year, you know, summertime, I would have regrouped. And then the next year would have been a little worse. So, you know, thankfully I got the help. So now I've decided that um, I don't want people to have to go through what I went through and, you know, suffer because I was able to get help and, you know, I'm a lot better. And I, and I wish I would have done it 25 years ago because, you know, I would have been a better coach, you know, but more importantly, I would have been a better husband. I would have been a better father um, and I would have enjoyed life more. So that, that, you know, and I, any questions, but that was kind of a quick rundown of what happened. And, and the newspaper did an article on me before I went back for the 2015, uh, 16 season. And I, I didn't want him just to say Mark's back coaching because people would wonder why. And I thought, you know, I want something good to come out of this. And, and the guy in Duluth did a great article um, explaining depression and what it is and how it manifests. And, um, you know, and, and it's helped a lot of people come forward and say, you know what, that's me. You know, that anger, irritation, you know, I thought that was competitiveness. Well, that was a sign of depression, <laughs> you know. So I, I just decided I wanted to do it. And then after last year, again, just seeing out there, um, and seeing what some of these kids are going through these days, um, it's tough. And you know what? 123 people a day die by suicide. And um, those numbers aren't getting any better. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we can have um, the conversation. People can get the help and, you know, live happy and productive lives. Do you think this is something that you had when you were younger and like now that you can reflect back and you've been told kind of like, well, th that's depression or, you know, that that's a sign of it, a symptom. Like, is this something you think that you had your whole life or you developed later? You know, great question. Um, because when I give my presentation that that's one of the things I say is, um, you know, look at me. Why would a guy like me have depression? Right. Young, good looking guy. Right. <laughs> You guys don't see me. So debatable. You know, that, that's debatable. a joke, okay? <laughs> no, it, no, it's not even debatable. It's a joke, okay? <laughs> um, but, but you know, um, why would I have it? Well, when I look back, yeah, I had signs of it. But I also had a grandma that died by suicide. I had an uncle that died by suicide. There's mental health, you know, there's mental illness in our family. But, again, we didn't have those conversations, and, you know, Sundays, I, I mean, growing up, I was so active in sports and stuff. But Sundays, when I didn't have something scheduled, I would stay in bed all day. Well, yeah, I'm tired. You know, um, I was never, you know, I, I always wanted to do better. 
You know, uh, I was never good enough. You know, I, I got to get this. I got to get a higher GPA. You know, I can do better in sports. You know, I never enjoyed that stuff. Um, you know, I've had the emotional outburst, you know, because again, to me, that was competitiveness. Well, when it affects, um, you know, how you live, then it's, it's more than that. And I just never realized it. And I think a large part was because I didn't want to face it. I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't want it because once I admitted it, then I'd have it. And nobody could tell, or people could tell me, my wife could tell me I had depression, but she couldn't prove it. Right. I mean, she couldn't do a blood test or an x-ray or an MRI. And to me, you know, some people that I have seen that have had it and some of the stuff that they've had to go through and the way they were treated and that stuff, I didn't want that. So I, I was in such strong denial that that was the problem. One of the first things my therapist said to me was um, depression. Depression is not your problem. The fact that you don't take care of your depression is your problem. And, and that just hit me like a ton of bricks um, because I, I didn't want to have it. And I thought, well, if I didn't admit it, I'm not really going to have it. And that really didn't work out that well for me. That's, uh, I mean, that's such a good point. Actually, it was one of the questions I was going to ask you because I read an article, um, you know, about you, and that was one of the one of the lines that really stuck out um, was the one that you just said in, in terms of dealing with it. And uh, so I kind of wanted to ask you now that you, you've been to therapy and and uh, um, you know, what are some ways that you do handle the stresses and you handle the the anxiety and the depression? Um, because I can imagine there are probably people that are going to be listening to this podcast that have similar thoughts that you did and, and, uh, might be going through some tough stuff right now. And, uh, you know, so what are some ways that you, you kind of handle it now that, uh, you've kind of come to grips with it? Well, one of the first things I had to do was change my thought process because when those three guys showed up late for the bus, it was because, they didn't respect me enough to show up on time or, you know, they wanted to show me who was in charge. So I had to show them who was in charge. So I did that by hollering at them. Well, here's something I don't know if you know or not through your coaching, but sometimes 22 year old guys are just stupid. <laughs> they don't tell time. They might've been playing Fortnite or something. And you know, it was, it wasn't to get at me, but I, I took it personal. You know, kid, kid would screw up a drill. Well, I put it on the practice plan. I explained it at the board. He doesn't respect me enough to pay attention. Well, there's drill breakers. Everybody's got them. It doesn't matter what you do. But to me, it became personal, like they were coming after me. So I really had to think, hey, what's, what's going on? What happened? Why? Because that then, in turn, um, determined how I reacted to it. If I, if, Hey, that's so-and-so and he always screws up the drills. Now I'm not mad. I just realized, Oh, okay. You know? Um, but if the emotion is that person is doing something to me, now I get angry and that's when the hostility comes out. And so I really had to think, um, you know, I've had to work on my breathing, you know, I, my anxiety at times, like, um, you know, it's like a, a weight on my chest, you know? So I do different things to, to make sure that I control my breathing. I try to stay ahead of the game. And that's one of the things that I talk to about people now is, you know, I talk to these athletes, did you do anything over the summer? Did you um, work out? Did you run? Did you skate? Did you lift? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what did you do for your mental health? 
Because even if you're healthy, you're going to have situations that come up. And if you have proper, um, you know how to breathe yourself through those, or you can meditate to calm yourself down, or you have some different tricks that work for you, um, you can use those when those times come up. Because like I say, if, if my, if, if our dog died tonight, my youngest, my 20 year old son would be really depressed. Doesn't mean he has depression, but he's got to figure out some ways to get through that. Cause that's going to be a very tough situation for him. My daughter had a job interview. Um, she might be very anxious about that. Doesn't mean she has anxiety, but what can she do to get through that interview? But if you do have depression, you do have anxiety, you do have um, other mental health issues, those help you during those also. You know, So again, we wait until we get to the point where we're in crisis, and then, and then we, we ask for help. The problem is sometimes when we get in crisis, especially for men, it can be fatal. And that's where the suicides come up. So again, what works for some people doesn't work for other people. I have a 10, it's an 11 minute meditation that uh, was made by a, a guy that I saw that a therapist. So for me, I have 11 minutes. I can do it. I can do my breathing in the car when I'm, when I'm driving home. I can do self-talk. It's really tough to do positive self-talk after you get swept on a weekend. <laughs> But you can do it other times. You know, when you're in a good frame of mind, you do those exercises when you're in a good spot. So when those bad times come, you can fall back on them. Not that's when you're trying to learn them. And, and that's what I try to stress to people is, you know, let's stay on top of that stuff and talk to somebody. Have somebody you can talk to that, you know, sometimes they will tell you, hey, no, you're just making that. That's, that's a story in your head, but I don't think that's true. You're not a terrible coach. Yeah, we're going through a tough patch, but, you know, here's how we can get through it. But if, if you try to take it on your own and solve it on your own without a support group, man, we can go down that rabbit hole really quick. And, and when I give these talks, you know, as coaches, what do we want to do? We want to take care of our players. We want our players to be successful, and we'll teach them how to do these things. What about us? Who's taking care of us? Because we're not immune from this. You know, this, this does not discriminate. And that's where whenever I go talk to a team, whether the coaches come in my presentation or not, I sit down with the coaches and I say, you know, that wasn't just for those guys in, or women in the room. That's for you also. As a staff, you got to look out for each other. And when you see those things, um, you have to talk about them. And you have to be willing to be honest about it too. Because again, hey, how are you? Well, fine. You know, it's like if you ever had a concussion, you know, they ask you a question, does your head or you got two answers? Yes or no. They can't see in your head, you know? So if you're not honest, yeah, you might fool them and get by with it, but we know the consequences aren't, you know, can be severe. It's the same thing with your mental health, you know, be honest with people um, so you can get help. But that, that's something that's tough. And I don't think it's just a male, female thing. I don't think men have the corner market on it, but you know, we're really good at helping people out if a teammate needs something, a coach needs something, man, we'll jump and, and go help them. But we really have trouble asking for help and, and being vulnerable. Yeah, oh, 100%. Uh, that's, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I think we've been and I've been you know, pretty, pretty open about some of the mental health struggles that, that I've had um, in my recent past and stuff. And, and I can say that when I finally did make that uh, – 
you know, make that choice to, to ask for help and kind of tell people about it. It, it was unbelievable. Um, just the weight that kind of gets lifted off your shoulders and you kind of understand and appreciate how much support you actually do have, um, when, when you do that. And, uh, yeah. it, it's amazing how hard that is though. And you talk about specifically for males and us macho guys who play hockey, you know, even more so, um, but did you kind of yeah. have that, you know, when I first went to therapy and I got to almost kind of vent it all out, it was like, I left there feeling like I lost a hundred pounds just right off my shoulders and, uh, and stuff. So like, did you kind of have a similar, um, similar reaction to it when you actually did ask for help and, and kind of what was your, what was your experience like when you did that? It was very, interesting. so that first week, you know, when I was home by myself, when I talked to our volleyball coach and she said, I would have never known you had depression. It was like at that point, a thousand pound weight lifted off my chest because now people know it's out there. Yeah. I don't have to hide it anymore because we spend so much time hiding it. Um, but then, then again, you know, and, and it really did help. Then when I went back to work, I, I called my wife after three days and I said, um, you know what? I, I don't think I had depression. I think I have leprosy because nobody wants to come around me. You know, and then finally, finally, somebody came in my office and gave me a hug and, 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 and she was so excited to see me. It was... Um, the woman, you know, with some special needs that, that walks around the office and helps clean. There was, you know, always would stop in and talk to me, you know, but other people were, you know, we don't, we don't know what to say and stuff. And that was tough at first, you know, but I just understood it's because it's, if we don't know something, we're afraid of it. If we're not educated on it, it's something that we try to avoid. And if you're not in a good spot, that can bring about a lot of shame and stuff. So my thing was, you know, instead of being mad at these people, um, they, you know what, we have to educate them and let them know that it's okay. That, you know, you're not going to get it from me. You can ask me about it. I can talk about it. You know, it's, you know, but again, we don't want to put somebody in an uncomfortable situation. And they were actually more uncomfortable than I was. Yeah. Um, but then as I talked to people also, like the amount of people that said, hey, you know, shut the door. You know what? I went through electric shock therapy or I, I'm on medication. But again, they don't want anybody to know. Yeah. You know, but all of a sudden you find out, man, I'm not the only one. There's a ton of people around here that are dealing with stuff or not dealing with stuff, you know? And then my thing is, is, Hey, public or not, I'm very open about it. And, and that's fine. And, um, people don't have to be, you know, and I'm not saying that everybody should do that, but you know, my goal is that people get help, you know, and that can be a very private thing. You know, I talked to some, some pro players who are like, you know, still in our business. It's, it's kind of tough because you know, with the concussion issues and that, you know, sometimes you feel like you're going to be looked at as damaged goods. Okay. Um, you know, but Hey, you have resources, see somebody outside or, you know, back in your hometown, or now you got this telehealth and all that type of stuff. But the important thing is, is get the help that you think you need. Um, you know, to be Paul good. No, he has to know, but if you don't get the help, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to take care of itself. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I, I I wanted to ask you at some point, just like if there was any kind of triggers or anything that really helped you, because it, it was one of the things that I talk about now. And uh, I don't know, ha- have you ever heard of or have you read Brene Brown at all? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so yep. she's... Vulnerability? A, yeah, exactly. And she she's awesome. I encourage uh, everybody listening yep. to, to either she's got a great um, a great talk on, on YouTube and on Netflix, and she's written a couple books, and she's, she's awesome when it comes to this stuff. And one of the things that she talks about that really resonated with me was the story that you tell yourself. And what she means by the story that you tell yourself is, you know, something happens to you in your life, um, what's the story that you're telling yourself of how you're going to react to it? So the thing that I, like the example that I use specifically with the college guys, when I talk to them is like, all right, you're walking down the road and there's this really pretty girl that's walking, you know, coming towards you. And hello. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Um, but that girl, um, you go and you give her kind of like a smile, just, you know, just, Hey, what's going on or whatever. And she just kind of puts her, her head down and just walks right by you. Right. So it could be now, what's the story that you're telling yourself? Right. There's a million different ones. You can be like, oh, I'm really ugly. I'm an unattractive person. Why would that pretty girl not want to look at me? She thinks I'm awful. Uh, Or it could be, hey, well, maybe she just didn't see me. Or, hey, maybe she's having a bad day. Uh, Hopefully she can get better. There's like so many different stories that you can tell yourself that aren't true (laughs) because a lot of times anxiety, it lives in, you know, it lives in this universe that hasn't happened yet. And, uh, but that's the universe that we always go to specifically when we have some of these mental health struggles. And that was one of the things that really resonated with me because I found that when I started to do that and I noticed it and I noticed the stories that I was telling myself when things happened and how negative they were. And when I turn those into positives or saying like, that's not what that person's thinking. That's not what that person thinks about me. And I would kind of just try to find a different story that was better and more positive. That really was able to change my mindset and and put me in a more positive frame of mind. Um, So I wanted to ask you if there was anything kind of like that or a saying or a talk that you heard or uh, that really kind of helped you or something that you, uh, you convey to the people that you talk to as well. Well, and, and again, you hit it on the head. That's the old, you know, hey, the guys are doing this to get back at me because that was a story I made up in my head because I was always the victim. And I did that for 30 years. Well, that becomes pretty in a, a pretty ingrained way of thinking. And um, I've been married for 34 years. And my wife used to always say this to me and it used to just drive me crazy. Um, but now... I understand and, and, and I appreciate it. You know, if, if, if I say, say something, she'll say, well, that's a story you made up in your head. Now, do you want to know what really happened? You know, <laughs> um, that's a story you made up in your head. Or she'll say, um, is that a good story or is that a true story? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I don't like when she says that, but it's true. You know, because again, you know, if you're if if you're in that um, that that situation where you're not in a great spot, yeah, everything it just snowballs. Everything is um, it comes at you, and and that's what I talk to kids about these days. You know, isolation when I was a kid meant that you'd go to your room, okay. Um, you know, and I tell the story that you know when I grew up, because you know, remember I'm that guy that walked uphill both ways, um, <laughs> that. We had a bus, so we played cards. 
Then we got these really fancy buses that had TV screens. And somebody would bring a movie and we'd all watch a movie. Thought that was so cool. Then guys got laptops and there might be six different movies going on with four guys here, three guys here, you know, watching different stuff. Well, now what does everybody do? They get on a bus and they get on their phones and they isolate that way. And, and that's fine. But if you're not in a good spot, oh, you know, you can see some things out there and make up some pretty bad stories in your head. You know, like, like I say, you know, um, social media nowadays, you know, that's like a 365 day Christmas card. Everybody tells you how great they are. You know, go on Twitter. When was the last time, you know, watch how many times this winter you see somebody tweet. I was dash four and had six minutes ice tonight. <laughs> you ain't going to see that one, you know, but everybody will tell you how great they are. And then if you were a healthy scratch, you look at it and say, God, I am, I am no good. I do stink. Well, that's the story we're going to make up in our head. And if there's nobody else to tell us that that's not true, that that's, you know, let's, let's change the narrative, then, then we can be in a tough spot. So, you know, just like you said, with Brene, we, that we have to redetermine the narrative. The problem is, you know, sometimes that narrative is very ingrained and we have to change that to be more positive. That's so true. And, and, and everybody else's takes time. Yeah. And everybody else's narrative isn't as, as, you know, as great as they make it out to be on social media. Oh. <laughs> and that's Absolutely one of the things not. I talk about in yeah. my, in my team building specifically when I talk to younger kids is, uh, you know, that comparative culture. And the example that I use is, uh, you know, I have a two year old daughter, actually I have a two year old daughter and like a week old daughter now, but specifically, uh, with, yes, congratulations. They, yeah, thanks. But specifically with my two year old daughter, I go put a two minute time clock on. And in that two minute time clock, I need to take a picture of my daughter. And probably for that two minutes, a minute 59, she's going to be a little stinker and she's not going to want to take that picture. And she's going to be moving around and she's going to want to hold the phone and she's going to cry and all that kind of stuff because she doesn't like taking pictures. But for that one second, she, she cracks a little bit of a yep. smile and she looks really cute and I, I, I get it. I capture it. And I go to the kids. I go, yep. what do you think I'm putting on social media? <laughs> I'm putting on that. My daughter is so cute. Life is great. Everybody's going to tell me how amazing my daughter is and how well behaved she is. And for a minute 59 out of that two minutes, she was a little stinker. (laughs) And she was, you know, it was just, it was really, really hard. And I think the thing that's really tough with that is, you know, we're always searching now. Like, cause we can, we can see things that other people have that we feel like we deserve or we feel like we should have. Should, I feel like is the worst word in the dictionary. I wish it would get, um, you know, it's, it, it yep. would leave. Um, but it, we, we search for things that we can't or don't have instead of enjoying what we have that's right in front of us. And I think when we take some time to really reflect about the things that we have right in front of us, we understand how unbelievably lucky we are to have those things. But with social media and, and, you know, how much we're bombarded with all these negative messages and um, this comparative culture where we're comparing ourselves to other people, it takes away from that, that reflection of like, hey, like my life is, is pretty good. And when I talk to the kids, I say, hey, like talk to me about some things that you're grateful for. And they can list off a list of 
50 different things. And then I ask them how much, how, like yeah, how much yeah. time a day do you think about that? And it's, it's, it's none. And it's just, it's backwards. And, uh, I, I agree with you. The social media is a huge piece to it. And, uh, I, I, I wish, and, and we need to do more work as, as coaches, as mentors, as teachers into proving to these kids how much, even if we're in dire situations and even if, you know, the, our, our circumstances aren't really good, there's still a lot that every single one of us can be grateful for. Yeah. And, and, and let me ask you, Jeff, you know, you had a very good playing career and all that stuff. Um, if hey, what nine about me? People what said, about me? Wow. Come on. Well, I'm going to get you. I'm going <laughs> to you I'm totally the, the co- I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you on the coaching end. That's a good cover, huh? Uh, but if, if nine people say, wow, we're so glad he's on our team, you know, that was the best pickup we ever had. And then that one person says, why did they still have this guy around? They should have gassed him years ago. Which one do you listen to? Do you listen yeah, to the nine or the be, one? I'd be thinking about that one and being like, I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> oh, exactly. That's where our energy goes, to that one. You know, we, you know, we miss a workout. We, d- we dwell on that. We feel guilty. We don't remember these six good workouts we had before that. Okay? Tobi, let me ask you, when you coached, did you ever enjoy the wins as much as you agonized in the losses? Very few. Exactly. I mean, I tell, yeah. you know, I mean, I remember talking to coaches all the time, you know, if they win Friday night, we don't enjoy it because we got to get ready for Saturday. If we lose Friday night, now we got to watch film and figure out why we lost. And so it doesn't happen on Saturday. Well, then when Saturday comes after the game, if we win, well, we better get ready for next week because we better do it again because people expect that now. If we lose, now we can't we can't go on a slide. You know, we're coming in tomorrow to do this. You know, and it's like even the ones that win the last game of the year. You know, Sandy's done it now a couple times in a row. But guess what? How much do they enjoy it? I hope they enjoy it a lot. And I haven't talked to Scott, you know, about it. But you know, then what? Now we better. You know, if Scott's runner up this year. People are going to say, "Oh, I guess had a bad year." Huh? <laughs> you know, so right away they're on the road and it's just that constant where we don't sit back and enjoy those things and have that, sorry, but attitude of gratitude. Like you say, we have to look at that stuff and let's look at more of what we have done than what we haven't done. But that, that's a tough thing for us to do. I don't know if it's a societal thing or not, but, you know, we push, 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 and, and then we let people direct the narrative instead of us taking charge of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this you'll find interesting. One of the things we actually ended up doing at Cornell uh, when we had player meetings is uh, you know, we we would have the meeting and, and we would talk about it too. We'd be like, we can tell a kid nine positive things and then tell him one negative thing. And the thing that he's taken out of that, that meeting was the negative thing. And we just found that was almost like with every kid. So what we ended up doing at Cornell, after every single one of the meetings that we had, the last question that we would always ask was, okay, what are you taking out of this meeting right now? <laughs> what, what was the message yep. that you received from us as a coaching staff? Because it was amazing to see how many times the, the message that they were taking away was not what we were trying to convey. And we were trying to convey a much more yep. positive message, but they were taking that one or two little things of, of feedback, that negative feedback or constructive criticism, and they were going to go dwell on it. And uh, so we, we were like, we, we found that and, 
we said, hey, we, we have to nip that in the bud, and we have to ask these guys what they're taking out of it. And uh, once we started doing that, the communication lines actually ended up being a lot better. Well, and that's and that's what it's all about, you know, is communication. You know, you, the more you communicate, the less you have to make that story up in your head, because then yeah. you can tell each other exactly what you mean. And you don't leave it there to, hey, you know, coach doesn't like me, this or that. Well, no, coach ran over the office, didn't even talk to me. Well, yeah, because his wife was in labor and he had to get there, <laughs> you know. But, um, you know, the, the more you communicate, then, you know, it, it that's, takes away a lot of that, those stories that are made up. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's, it's so true. And, and having that, uh, that on, like, I feel like the best conversations and the best way to connect um, and a lot of what you were talking about, the bus thing, it, it just, it, it shows how much kind of connection has been lost. But I feel like um, the best way to connect is just honesty and vulnerability. Um, the more research that I do, the more people that I talk to, that, that honesty and vulnerability is, is it. But it's a hard thing, especially for kind of us macho hockey guys like we were talking about, to really put yourself out there. Um, but again, I think it's so important. And a lot of times, too, some of the struggles that your players are having as a coach, you've probably went through or somebody you know probably went through some of those struggles as well. So when you can have that kind of shared adversity and that connection through maybe some of the tough times um, and you can honestly and openly talk about that kind of thing, that connection grows. And I don't think there's any more important job as a coach than to be able to develop that connection. And uh, I think it's we're kind of starting to see that come out a little bit more now, but still it's a very guarded world we live in and people are pretty afraid to share some some of their feelings and be vulnerable and i just wish that it it would change sooner rather than later you know and again like we've talked about before so do i but i'm also going to look at we are moving forward and i think that's a start and you know we're not we're not going to change this overnight and we weren't having these conversations when i played you know, nobody was coming in in, 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 a, in, a, in a locker room to talk about mental health with guys or women, you know. And now, you know, these coaches are creating the environment. And that's where I give them so much credit that, you know, those coaches, you know, like in the last week when I've been to Mankato and St. Cloud and UMB, um, those players know that it's okay to talk about it because Scott or um, – you know, the, the St. Cloud staff, Mankato staff, like they invited me in. They didn't have to, they weren't forced to. It's because they know this is an important issue with kids. They have to create that environment where kids will talk to them. So, um, you know, this is hopefully showing those kids. Now there's still trust with some kids, you know, I, I, I'm still not ready to do that. That's fine. But they're sending the message that, you know, health is health. We're not just concerned about your physical health, but also we're not concerned about you as just a hockey player. We're concerned about you as a person. And, you know, you're going to live with your mental health the rest of your life. And and we want you to be able to enjoy it, to live, to laugh, to love, to have relationships. And, you know, they're creating that whole culture more so than we have in the past. So, um, as much as I'm like you, I want this done now. I want anybody that's struggling to, to get help. Um, 
we're, we're, we're setting the culture, you know, coaches are opening up their locker rooms to have that conversation. But again, like we talked about before, um, to ask for that help is tough, but the more kids know it's okay and they see it happen here and there, hopefully the more comfortable that they'll be with it. So, you know, we are moving in the right direction. Yeah. I think that, you know, thinking back to the, the best teams I was on too, like, I really believe the coach cared about me. And if I needed to go talk to him about something personal, uh, I could. And so I think that's massive now. Like coaches, you gotta go to your team in the beginning of the year and be like, look, like we all care about you as people. Like you're not just a number. You're not just this. You're not just that. Like I care about each one of you individually. And I, I truly hope that that's true. I believe it is in youth hockey for the most part. And the more you do that and the more you talk about kind of personal things that aren't just hockey, the more people will be comfortable to share or talk to you or come to you in those times of need. Well, I think, too, you even look at the three schools that Mark just even mentioned. Right? He, he went and spoke to University of Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud State University, and University of Minnesota Mankato. I mean, those are three top 10 teams in the NCAA and their coaches understand the kind of message that Mark brings and how important mental health is. So, you know, for all the the youth coaches out there, I mean, this is a real thing that could help you as a coach and can help the kids that you're coaching um, and just take it from three of the top coaches in the game and in, in, in Sandy and, and Lars and, and, and Hastings out in uh, Mankato. Jeff, I, I, I can't imagine that uh, you were having those kinds of conversations with Hastings when you played for him in Omaha 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was reading don't jump books because I was so afraid of them yeah uh, but again you know we know that you know if one of your players hurts their shoulder or their knee and they don't go to the trainer and and you know get help for that and, and strengthen that up and get back to, to 100% they're not going to be as effective as they can be it's no different with the mental health part you know, now, yes, they're going to be better players and that's a byproduct of that. And I think that's great. But I think they also realize that, you know, they're going to be happier in life. Also, they're going to be able to enjoy things more. But again, you, you know, your mental health is no different than your physical health. If you want peak performance, you better be in a good spot mentally also. Yeah, yeah, totally. absolutely. I mean, that's first you can't go anywhere with your body if your brain doesn't go can't go there like that's just (laughs) that's first and foremost yep nope 100 percent. yeah so well well, let um, me so we're getting there yeah well let me ask you this because um I, i listened to a podcast uh a couple weeks ago and and one of the things that was talked about was really kind of struck me it was really interesting and i'll ask you mark first but um they they called it i don't it's not the right phrasing or right wording, but they all, they almost called it preventative happiness. And you talked about it a little bit before how we're very reactionary with our physical and mental health. Like when we're sick, we go see a doctor, but we don't go see a doctor until we're sick type stuff. Um, so they were talking about getting in front of it, like you were talking about earlier. Um, and, and I've kind of found that to be true in, in my life. Like when I'm exercising uh, on a regular basis and when I'm eating healthier um, and I'm doing the, the little things like the meditation and, and having gratitude and stuff like that, I really find my mental health is so much better than when I'm not doing those things. Um, so is that something, and Jeff, maybe even you too, is that something that you think about and is that something that you kind of have a, maybe it's a routine um, or, or something that you do on a daily basis that kind of gets you on the straight and narrow? 
Jeff, you want to go? Um, yeah, well, I know when I feel my best emotionally, mentally, physically, when I do like write down things I'm grateful for, things I'm thankful for, um, days that I get to see my family, my, my parents or my sister. And I like looked them in the eye, I tell them I love them and I give them a hug. Like I just feel better cause I'm grateful for them being in my life. And when I'm around my, my puppy, when I get to have her, like I'm, I'm happier because like, I'm grateful for her. And I think about that. So like, you know, we had Ricky Mendez on here a while ago as one of my good buddies. And like, he's all about talking about what you're grateful for, writing it down, thinking about it. And there's no doubt in my mind that like, whenever I have negative thoughts, I try and immediately switch it to a positive, like, okay, this happened, but what's the positive that came out of that? Or what can I make positive from that? And as soon as you, as I started doing that, like it definitely changed my life a while ago. It was probably after my concussion, I started doing my bad concussion that I started doing that. Mm-hmm. Cause you can look at anything negative all day long, but that's not going to get you anywhere. Like worrying's like a rocking chair gives you something to do, but you don't move anywhere. If I'm constantly thinking about the positive and what I'm grateful for and what I'm happy for, like that gets me, into a better place. And then I go want to go do things, but I'm glad you said about that thing about exercising. Cause I wanted to ask that earlier. Did you start, did any of the therapists that you guys saw or anything about exercising and the positive benefits that exercising can have and the chemicals that are released in your brain when you exercise consistently, regularly? Um, yes, a- absolutely. Um, and, and for me, that was one of the things, you know, when I look back, once the season ended, what did I do? Well, when I was on the road recruiting, well, you got all day. So I'd go to the hotel, I'd jump on the treadmill or I'd do the elliptical or I'd get out and run, you know, in the summer times, what did I do? I did triathlons. I did marathons. I did a couple Ironman. Hello. You know, so that off, wow. I was, yeah. I was always exercising. Okay. Then when the season rolls around, well, what do we like? Hey, this isn't about us anymore. It's about the kids. So again, we don't sleep. We don't exercise. We don't eat as well, you know, cause we're grabbing stuff cause we're on the road and, and, and 100%, you know, I think in my talks, it always is, you know, I think the keys are, um, exercise, nutrition, sleep, journaling, meditation. Like those are the, you know, key things that I can do myself. And then the last one I think is the peer support. I have people that I can talk to and go to, but I also have to understand, you know, so some of these athletes we're talking about, they're in great shape and all that doesn't mean that we're then immune to it. It certainly does help us. But, um, you know, since I got my help and my medication and my, uh, therapist and all that in 2015, I got to be honest, it hasn't been all rainbows and unicorns. You know, I've, I've had some tough days still. I still have some times where I don't feel like getting out of bed. Okay. Um, you know, but there's also times where I might get the flu and be throwing up. I don't pretend that I'm not sick. I understand, Hey, this is the illness. What can I do to help get over it, make it as short as possible and then move on and don't expect it, you know, to be perfect. But all those things do help, but then understand you still might have some bad days. 
but that's the illness. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you, you, you know, you, you just got to suck it up. And why do I feel like this? I, I shouldn't feel like this. Um, and, and that type of stuff. But I, I don't think that I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that won't say that. Yes. Exercise is a key in this whole thing. Um, I've never heard anybody say that the exercise made them feel worse. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was reading. I was reading a, a medical article last week, I believe, actually about that and how um, exercise is the number one. Yep. Not fix, but like the number one thing that can help, like snap you kind of out of dep- a depressive state. And I totally believe that. And I think what you said, you touched on, like you, Topher said, prevented preventing your happiness. And then we were talking about being proactive as opposed to reactive. And one thing that I think a lot of people don't do, and it's something you just said, you didn't do it yourself. You're thinking, Oh, it's the hockey season. It's all about everyone else. Well, if you don't take care of number one yourself first, you cannot give everything you can, or you can't be as good to those around you. So like, I mean, I know for a fact that I personally, like I, I, I'm probably obsessed with, with working out and exercising, but it makes me feel good. And I know it makes me feel good. And I've had this problem like with my family, my whole life where I'll go on vacation with them and I don't take a lot of vacations, but like if we go on one, I still have to work out because I know that I will not be fun around them the rest of the day. If I can't go and work out in the morning, I know that I, I won't be depressed, but I know that I'll just kind of be down working out makes me feel good. And I find, I never told them that though, until we went to Las Vegas as a family, probably like three months when my season of coaching ended, I was like, I told them, I'm like, look, if I don't wake up and work out, like I'm not in as good a mood. I don't know if this is from my concussions, if it's from medicine, I don't know what's going on, but like, it's something that I have to do. I was kind of worried to tell them that. I don't know why I got the best family ever. It's not an issue at all anymore. They're like, okay, do you need to go work out? Like, just tell us what times you're going. They were completely fine with it. I've been hiding this from them since I started working out at 16 years old. I literally said to them in Vegas, like, Hey guys, just so you know, like this is something I need to do. I need a lot of sleep and I need to work out and I'm a better person. I'll function better. I'll be more fun. You guys will want to be around me. That's all it took for me to say. And they totally got it. I was like, shit, why did I say this 20 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we're all like that. Why, why didn't I get out 20 years ago? You know, but again, it's, you did you not know what was a safe environment? Were you afraid there would be some judgment? You know, who knows why people don't speak up, but generally that reaction you got a lot of times, I'm not going to say every time, but a lot of times that's reaction that people, yeah. I mean, cause what people want you to be happy. They want right. you to feel good, you know, and you know what it is that makes you feel good. You know, for somebody else, it might be something else, you know, for somebody else, it might be writing music or something. I don't know. But as long as it helps them feel good, you know, we used to call it, you know, when the season started, you know, everybody gets hurt, then they have to go through rehab. We just said, Hey, we're doing prehab all, you know, until we get going here, you know, cause we're trying to prevent those injuries, you know, so do it before you need to. And it's the same thing, you know, like you had said with our mental health. And I think that's a great point that, you know, we have to continue to get across kids is, you know, you know, what helps you do it. Don't sacrifice yep. it you know, for somebody else, you know? Yeah. And, and plus the fact that you're, 
the fact that you read medical journals, man, I'm in, you guys are scholars. Yeah, too. what is now, that, now, Jeff? Good for sudden, you. Must now have... all of a sudden I got intimidated. <laughs> let's not let's hold the horses, boys. It was probably a link on Instagram. Yeah, it was probably in, <laughs> it was probably in Maxim magazine or something like that. I don't even know if they have man, those I just, anymore. I just, the, yeah, the medical journal, my anxiety went up. I have all of a sudden I just had to practice my breathing. <laughs> there you go. Well, let me Thank ask you. you this, Mark. And, and uh, one of the things that I think really brings out anxiety, and this is one of the things that I really fear for with kids nowadays, specifically with the social media culture that we have. Um, you talked about the fear of judgment. And, and I feel like that is a huge, huge, huge problem, uh, specifically with the younger generation. But it's something that I, I struggle with, too, worrying so much about what, what other people think of me. Um, is that something that you kind of see with the younger generation with some of the talks that you're having? And, and if so, you know, what are some ways that we can kind of provide some kids with either resources or strategies to help themselves um, you know, not really have that fear of judgment because again, it kind of goes back to the story that you tell yourself too. Like you do something, who cares what other people think? I know I'm at my best when I don't give a crap about what other people think about what I'm doing. Um, and I know I'm at my worst when, when I have that fear of, of judgment. So is that something that you kind of see in your talks and, and how would you go about that? Which one's easier to not worry or not care what people think or to care about what people think? I think we all care about what people think. You know, yeah. it's tough to, you know, because all of a sudden if we give that ad, I don't care what you think. Well, now we're selfish, you know, and that I think innately we're like people pleasers. Yeah. And and we want these people. I think the big thing is, is relationships. And, you know, you have to have somebody, and, and I didn't have these, you know, and even with my wife, I've been married 34 years, I didn't have um, you know, I wasn't willing to really be open and share a lot of things. Uh, but if you have those relationships in a place that you can have that honest conversation and it doesn't matter what these people that don't know us, you know, that, that guy that, you know, blows by me on the highway because he thinks I'm going too slow. I don't care what he thinks about me. Okay. But the people that are close to me, I'm still going to care, but I can have the honest conversation with them. So I think we have to work on building relationships and being open with each other and supportive of each other. And just like Jeff said, you know, when he had to tell his family that, you know, I need to exercise in that. Um, as long as we have that open conversation, then we can understand that's okay. You know, now, again, you might not have that conversation with the random person, but if you can have that conversation with a handful of people and, and, and you can go back to those people, if you feel like other people are judging you or whatever, to get more of an unbiased opinion. But I think, you know, we, we don't spend enough time building relationships, real relationships, where we can have honest conversation about the way we feel. And, and I think that that's really important. I totally agree. And I'm sorry, I was probably the guy who blew by you on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. I, I'm I, I drive, you know, I got my ARP card out. I'm a slow driver, you know, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, on, but whatever. That's yeah. so funny, but it just kind of goes back to, and Jeff and I talk about this on the podcast all the time. Like the, probably the most important decisions that you're going to make in your life from 10 years old to the day that you die is the people that you surround yourself with. 
And if you surround yourself with the right people who, who do care for you and, and have your best interests and you feel comfortable around them um, at, at some point, I mean, I, I just think it's so, so, so important. Um, so, yeah, just finding, finding the people around that you can connect with and, and that, that love you for, for you and, and nothing else. I just, there's nothing better than that, and it's, it's just such, such an important decision to make. Yep. And, and again, you do have to make yourself vulnerable, Yeah. but until you, until you do that, sometimes you don't get all the benefits either. You know, it's a pretty good feeling when you can build that relationship also. Totally. Totally. Uh, well, Mark, this yeah. is this has been awesome. This has been such a such an enlightening conversation, and uh, want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing right now, and and being so vulnerable, and and sharing your story, and and helping people uh, along the way. And uh, have you found a lot of uh, contentment, and and have you found a lot of happiness in, in being able to share your story, and and knowing that you're making an impact on on a lot of kids that you're going to speak to? Well, that's that's the hope. You know, and again, that's something that I have to be better at, you know, and, I, and I'll, you know, my wife will tell me that and I'll say, um, well, I hope I'm having an impact. And she said, you know, I probably should have said when you said that, thank you, um, <laughs> because I am. But, you know, we, we don't see it, you know, as coaches, we don't always see that right away. Um, but I am, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about. And I think that, um, you know, we like we talked, well, we started the show with we can have an impact on people that we coach and the players that we coach i think in this you know and that's why i decided to go this route for this year and and i'm still helping out coaching when i can but this is the priority if somebody called and said hey can you be here tomorrow i'd do anything i could to get there because i think this can have a big impact on an area that um you know i talk a lot to college kids and to be honest with you you know we should probably be doing this at the middle school level but Kids are coming to college with these issues. Let's hit it now. Yeah. You know, that's a group that it's there. So let's, let's hit that. And then once we get that all solved, then we'll go down to the younger kids. But this one might take a while. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but I, do, I do enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, like I said, I've been very blessed. And, you know, this is my give back. Um, hopefully, you know, I can expand. You know, I don't want to be just a hockey guy. Hockey doesn't have the corner market on mental illness. Um, you know, there's a lot out there, but, you know, hopefully people can understand, you know, like the Robin Laners, um, they can be very successful and they can be, you know, um, achieve a lot of things as long as they take care of themselves. This, you know, I'm not depression. Um, I'm Mark. Depression doesn't define who I am. I do that. And, and people have to understand that that's what they can do. So that's my goal. That's my hope. You know, I'll keep plugging away at it. And, you know, if people want to listen, I'll talk. <laughs> well, you, awesome. uh, yeah, that's so great. And you're going to have a lot of impact on a lot of the listeners that, uh, that we have. And um, can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story on our podcast. This has been uh, a, a really great conversation for sure. And uh, you know, hopefully it leads to more conversation. Um, and uh, appreciate all the work that you're doing. Okay. Good luck this year with your talks and, and your team. And uh, if there's anything that we can do to help you out, uh, feel free to give us a call and, and let us know. We'll help you wherever we can. 
Well, I, I appreciate it. you guys do a great job here, and it's been an honor uh, for me to be on here. Kind of like that uh, tweet I saw you put out where Jeff sent to somebody that they finally made it big time being <laughs> on this podcast. I, I finally feel like I've made it so being able to be on here. So thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. And if there's ever anything I can do, don't hesitate to let me know. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. So, uh, thanks so much.